Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road in Las Vegas. <laughs> the Las Vegas edition. The Las Vegas edition. Um, what happens here stays here. Right. Thank goodness. Whoa. Thank goodness. We don't want it to get out. There's a lot of creativity going on here, but there's also a lot of really wild stuff, which uh, we don't know much about. But um, we are right here by actually by a mall called the Crystal Mall. And I thought, oh, I'll go shopping yesterday. And I went in there and I only recognized a few of the names and the other ones I'd never heard of. And even the ones I recognized, I would never walk in and buy anything because it would cost me several thousand well, dollars. That's the first time you've ever gone shopping and come back empty handed. <laughs> I couldn't find one single thing that interested me. <laughs> but um, wow, what a place. What a lot of creativity. Well, we're here. <laughs> we're here. For a legitimate reason, which is a tennis tournament I'm playing in, which it's just occurred to me, you know, we used to do Ayers on the Road from all over the world, and we were always there to speak or to present somewhere. And now, a lot of times, we're just here to play around. So I don't know if that's good or bad. What do you think? Well, not a lot of times, but no. it is really, there are some amazing things. We did go to the Sphere, the Sphere, that's hard to say. The Sphere. But it is really incredible oh my goodness it has um some things that you cannot imagine robots talking to you out in the lobby just having a conversation, the conversation. yeah it's and a little bit a, it's got a lot of AI. ai a lot and then we saw the most fabulous imax on steroids about the earth oh postcard from earth spectacular um, you just felt like you were sitting in a spaceship looking down at Earth and all the beauty that was there. And so there are some beautiful things here. Too. Well, the main attraction always for uh, for Las Vegas, we, we've come so much over the years, partly because our boys were always playing in basketball tournaments. Yeah, and now you're playing so, in tennis tournaments. But, you know, it's always been, we've always loved Cirque, the Cirque de Soleil shows and, and uh at one point, there were 10 of them here in Las Vegas, and we'd seen all of them except one called the Mad Apple, and so we were going to see it this trip. But Well, except for one called Zumanity. Which oh, yeah, we never did. That's a good, good point. We don't want to think. But the Mad Apple's dark right now, so we didn't get to see it, but we're, we're going to go to O, which is one we love. And yeah, always after a Cirque show, Linda says... Why? Why do we ever do anything ordinary? <laughs> it's just the same way that everybody else does it. The creativity just blows me away of what they can think of to do that makes your mind real and makes you think, oh, I need to just be more creative. This is amazing. Not swinging on silks and ropes and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, just the way they think about things and the music they come up with and the fun things that they that makes your mind wind around and it's just really uh, we love them we really do and speaking of creativity you just made a subconscious segue that was perfect because we want to talk a little about a particular kind of creativity today it's just something that's on our mind and we'll tell you why 
there's several reasons it's on our mind today. But when I say the kind of creativity that we're going to talk about, don't any of you switch off or say, well, I'm not interested in that, because that's the problem is that we're not as interested as a society in this thing, this creative thing we're going to talk about today. And stay stay with us because we're going to kind of try to convince you of its worth and of why we should all pay a little more attention to it. And the thing is poetry. Don't turn off the... <laughs> you're wherever you're listening because... Um, Poetry is a beautiful thing. Why don't we read it more? We had a friend that we sent a poem to the other day, and he's a very candid fellow, and he just wrote back and said, um, I I just don't resonate with poetry. I just always skip right over it. Well, no, he said, no, it's even worse than that. He said, it makes me go cold. It makes me go cold. Oh, how can he say that? Poetry should be the warmest thing. And as, as you were saying, Linda, poetry used to be, I mean, we got to go back a few generations when this was true, but poetry used to be not only a really important form of expression and creativity, it used to be a, a major form of entertainment. I mean, before right. social media, even before television, people would read poetry out loud to each other frequently i mean it was it was something you did right. it was it was a form of entertainment oh and, oh think about our ancestors who all knew limericks you know they well, knew yeah they, that that's, that's, that was that's that silly poetry. <laughs> but but i mean they loved things that rhymed and they loved poetry as far as coming up with something creative and fun but poetry and prose used to be sort of the two kinds of writing that were somewhat equal to each other i mean you you would read a poem as often or more often than you would read an article or a essay or a book. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People just read a lot of poetry, and it became sort of a way of thinking and a way of doing things. In fact, uh, one one interesting quote is that uh, uh, a writer of prose has the goal of helping his readers to understand. The goal of a poet is to help his or her readers to feel. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? So we live in a world where poetry is disappearing, or I, that's not true. There are a lot of poets that are doing things, but they are they are not prominent. I mean, I'll give you a, a very personal example, and we're going to get to some poetry that we hope you'll enjoy today, but uh, my aunt, my mother's sister, May Swenson, if you look up prominent poets of the 20th century or prominent American poets of the 20th century, May Swenson will be on the list. She may be at the top of the list. She may be number one on the list. I don't know, but uh, my mother's sister, May, the oldest in a Swedish family of 10 children, um, left Logan, Utah, and went to New York City to pursue her poetry and never came back. I mean, she came back a lot to visit, but New York yeah. became her home. And But she had an amazing mind. It's just, isn't it interesting how our children just come wired 
with certain things and it, it, they just, it comes with them. We don't know where these gifts come from. Yeah. You have this wonderful gift that is just. Well, I wish I did. I'd you. like to, I'd like to develop it. I think poetry, like any other gift is, there may be a propensity for it, but it's, it's work to develop it. And that's certainly what May did. And May at an early age, I, I remember as a little boy, May would come home for a family reunion or she'd be there in Logan where I grew up for some reason. And I remember one day she took me by the hand as I, re as I remember it. And uh, I bet I was under 10 and she led me out into the, the, the yard, the back garden. And she just pointed at a tree and she said, Ricky, my childhood name, she said, Ricky, what do you see right there? And I said, well, I see a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I know, I know, I know, but look closer. What do you see? And yeah, I still saw a tree. And she said, Well, look, look at the bark, look at the leaves, look at the look at the uh shapes, look at the colors. What do you see? And and she just and then she told me what she saw, patterns in the bark and 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 symmetry in the branches, the way they grew out of the trunk, and just and I didn't get it. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I said, yeah, I guess I can see that. But she was trying to teach me the, I guess, the key skill or attribute of a poet is being able to see, being able to see more, being yeah. able to hear more, feel more touch more, taste more, and then being able to put that in a small number of economic words, economically chosen, effective, pithy words that cause you to feel. Yeah, I do love that definition. I, I do think my mother, who was creative in a lot of ways, but not really poetic, took a class on uh, poetry and uh, painting and all the arts and so on. And she said to me on our way home, we used to travel an hour and a half from Idaho over to Logan, Utah to a cl the class. And on the way home, I remember her stopping on the way and saying, saying, look at this rock. This is what I learned today. Look at this rock. What color is that rock? And I said, well, gray. She said, no, we'll look closer. Look again, look again, look, really? look That's deeper. That's interesting. I've and never and we saw all kinds of colors. There were so many colors in that rock that you just don't see unless you're looking for it. And I think... That's what the gift of poets. They see things in a different way. And once once they point it out, they go, oh, yeah, that's right. That is the way it is. Now, why is poetry on our minds today, sitting here in Las Vegas, looking out at the Strip? Why? why? It's probably a, a kind of an unpoetic place, but I'll bet not. I'll bet there have been some great poems written about the confusion and materialism and, and sort of over-the-top worldliness of Las well, Vegas. Well, think of what we've seen. It's poetry and love. Yeah, that that's true. Well, there's, two, your mind. there's two reasons that poetry's on our minds today. One is that uh, years ago, in fact, I think that, well, I know when it was, because Saren was a brand new baby. So the first year of our marriage, the second year of our marriage, we decided not to send out Christmas cards. Remember that? We decided we wanted to send a Thanksgiving card instead. I can't remember exactly why. We just 
just wanted to get out of the rush of Christmas when there's so, too many Christmas cards and well, you can't we just read them love all. Love Thanksgiving, yeah. and so we started. And ever since then, we've sent a Thanksgiving card out every year, and it's always had a poem in it, a poem and a family picture. That's been our greeting card for all these years, and it's caused us just to love thanksgiving and back in the day when we were so busy it's the only poem i would write during a year was the thanksgiving poem (laughs) so there's one reason it's on our mind the other one is that we we're trying to do something about this dearth of poetry or about this waning popularity of of the poetic word we're doing our own little thing i don't consider myself to be a great poet i consider myself to be an aspiring poet I want to be a poet because I think becoming a poet involves feeling more, seeing more, being more aware. And that's a goal I think we all should have. And so we write a lot for Meridian Magazine, which a lot of you read, I know. So if you haven't read Meridian Magazine, you should just go online and type in your in your search bar Meridian Magazine and it's also called ldsmag.com and we're going to there's going to be a, there's a poem there that I did this week and there's going to be one next week there's going to be one every monday in meridian magazine for the rest of the year and then we may continue it beyond that but we wanted to share a couple of these poems with you today after after a little break but um as we do think about the virtues of poetry and about whether we could all benefit a little. I mean, imagine, this is crazy to say, Linda, but imagine if we spent part of the time we spend on social media, right? (laughs) Writing poetry? Reading poetry. (laughs) Reading Reading it instead. I'm going to... Wouldn't that be On my Instagram, uh, Linda Richard Iyer, Richard Linda Iyer, whatever it is, we're going to put the poems each week that we publish. Now, honey, you keep saying we. Let me be clear. You are writing. These yeah, but poems. you're my muse, honey. I oh, can't write yes. a poem. I, here's oh, the funny yes. thing. I never know if something I've written, whether it's prose or poetry, is any good at all until <laughs> I read it to Linda. And she doesn't even have to say anything. I just look at her face and I always say, oh, that's no good. Okay, I'll start over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you have a amazing mind and i am grateful to be the beneficiary of living with that so we're gonna take a brief break stay with us we'll be right back and read you two or three little poems that may not be the best in the world but they may get you to think about some things in a new way and to feel some things maybe you haven't felt and if so that's the goal of poetry so come on don't turn it off come on back we'll see you in a minute Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Thanks for staying. And we are going to launch into a little poetry now. So Linda's going to first read this one that is called Inclusive. And I, the reason I wrote this is that I was thinking how... Um, how often our tendency in this world is to be exclusive, to separate ourselves from others, to say, to even even in its worst form, to sort of 
lift ourselves up above others to 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 to, to compare social media contributes a lot to it to compare ourselves and to want to elevate ourselves by putting other people down and so on and so on and so on a lot of division a lot of a lot of uh separation going on in the world and we just we don't think that's god's way so linda's going to read you this just let this by the way the way the way to listen to poetry or to read it is let it flow over you don't don't say what does that mean i've got to understand that better don't don't try to dissect every word let it come over you and see what it makes you feel well this was also written because you've been thinking so much about inclusivity and unity and so on right. because you've just finished this book which we've talked about right about 14 essays on unity so here we go inclusive another word for unity the antonym of division and the correct interpretation or paradigm of restoration the onlooking world gets it backwards and often so do we temples are exclusive god saves the few most are wicked and disqualified sheeps are in goats are out some have families some don't all are errors of mortal short-sightedness pseudo division a prophet said our theology begins with heavenly parents and in that light, who would interpret gathering Zion as separating the good kids from bad or tiny celestial as walled off from everyone else or exaltation as slipping in before the door closes? All these accuse God of being small and partial, the direct opposite of all that they are. Oh, God, please excuse the absurdity of our petty, time-bound judgments. Instead, look up and let your spirit expand beyond our simpleness. All are in. All are theirs. All can have all in a place and a span where there is so much time that there is none. The how has been calculated all we must do is receive and accept and act, and we have the incalculable forever to do so. We do what we can now, not for qualification, but for joy. None can exclude but themselves, and that is easier to understand than we think. After all, who would you deny among your spiritual siblings? <laughs> I like that. Well, you... You may not have written that, Linda, but you read it extremely well. <laughs> I think there's a career for you in poetry reading. <laughs> no, that not, was beautiful. But that Thank is you. a beautiful poem. Thanks. And again, you know, the, the beauty of a poem, unlike most prose, is that you really have to read it several times. And we'll put a link in, in the show notes for those of you who want to read that again. But... Sometimes poetry is, uh, you know, I I actually prefaced uh, one poem I did recently with a statement that said, you know, the reason I'm writing this in poetry rather than prose is because it's about something that I feel deeply, but I can't fully explain. And that's how poetry is. Again, 
prose attempts to make the reader understand something. Poetry attempts to make the reader feel something, maybe something that you can't explain, like love or like testimony or like faith. It's hard to explain and help people understand those things. What you want is for people to feel them, right? Well, and it just opens up your mind to think about your own creativity and how that applies to you and how, you know, how that works in your life. It really is fun. We should spend more time with poetry. Absolutely. Let me, we're going to read you two more. And, and, and this one that I'm going to read now is a lighter, much lighter poem. I mean, poems about nature, poems about things you observe often are, are not theologically or philosophically deep, although they may cause a reader to feel some of what you felt when you wrote the poem. I, I often, we've traveled over a hundred countries in our speaking and book writing and so on. And I wish I'd written one little poem about each of those places because they're, they're a memory aid. They help you remember things even better than pictures might. But this is a lighter poem and it's just about my favorite time of the year. So and I can read it more quickly than Linda read very beautifully and slow because that was a poem to ponder. This is just see what this makes you feel. It's called Late Autumn. I'm seeing more today, the little things, the golden leaves of grass, the tiny grains atop each stem, the perfect harmony of these piney woods, of smell and taste and sight and feel and, and the sound of the stream. Late Autumn. Leaves as carpet rather than canopy. Except for remnants of bright yellow here and there clinging to their aspen branches or round gleaming deposits on the boughs of their neighbor pines. Time for much of nature to go to sleep, but my time each year to awaken. See fuller, listen harder, feel more, think deeper. The black eyes of white aspen trunks peek back at me. The path leads to my push-up rock where I pause to do 22, then up the hill to my favorite hugging tree. I always jog up along the winding old logging road, peering down the ravine at the stream's pond. Then I swing around and down the brook path to complete the loop, accompanied by confluent symphonic stream perfect damp autumn fall cool tingle in the air the taste of sagebrush sprig in my mouth you can worship here without even trying <laughs> i love that it really is true wow that makes you feel how that that's words to make you know how you feel when you go through a forest in the autumn. It is just beautiful. And uh, wow, I mean, how many people can think of that? That's pretty amazing, honey. Well, I think it, you don't say that. That's the other thing. A lot of poets will tell you, and I, I concur with this, that uh, you don't write poems, you find them. They're in you. You know, something's happened or you've felt something and the poem's there. You just have to find it and sort of pull it out it's like i mean i guess that that's sort of the uh, the uh counterpoint or the the uh, similar to the 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 sculpting metaphor right the 
you know, David is in the marble. Michelangelo just had to cut away all the parts that weren't David. Yeah. As you walk down to see David in Florence, there are these gorgeous big hunks of of rock. Uncut granite. But it's uncut granite, but you can see that he has figured out who's in there. Just chipping away, chipping away (laughs) to figure out who's in there. It is just astonishing. They just emerge because they're supposed to be there. It's just amazing. So we want to read you one more, and we'll alternate stanzas on this one. And um, this one is really, really, I may have a hard time reading part of it because it's so poignant to us right now because we have someone who we love very much who's very close to us who has a terminal illness and and unlike the rest of us where we don't know how long we have on this earth or what'll happen next or what'll even happen today uh this person knows and it, it changes his perspective and it changes ours because we love him and so in that context, I was trying to capture some of these feelings. And um, again, not to explain, not to help us understand necessarily, but just to help us feel. So um, enjoy this one with us. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll try to put uh, links in the show notes if, because most, if, if it's a good poem, you have to read it much more than once. Okay, this is called Finite. Don't bemoan the temporary, the limitation, the end of life. For each of them are mortal gifts. Instead, cherish and relish the finite and the fleeting and the fragile. For they are what sets apart this world from eternity. In their sharp definition, their high resolution, their tactile tangibility. It came to me on a Sunday in church, two days after a scary lab result, something I'd known but not fully felt. I am finite here within the infinite. And that's the point of mortality. Time within eternity. Entropy within centropy. Measure within the measureless. Nothing lasts here. Everything is ending. The beauty is that in our overview eye of faith, our celestial thought, nothing is taken for granted. Not the now or the before or the after. Here we have the singular gift of non-predictability, of non-preservability. In the smaller faux perspective of the ego mind, going to London thinking you'll be back again soon, or seeing just another flower, deflates presentness and dilutes the joy of the gift. Confusing the finite with the infinite diminishes both. It... Whatever it is, could always be the last. Your remaining balance could be a year or a half or a decade and a half. 
The things we thought would never stop will. The repeats may not. The finite, if we love it, makes it easier to repent and forgive and enjoy and love. So that'll that's a, a that makes me reflect even more and think of other things as I read it, and I I feel like that's potentially the gift of poetry to make us feel in different ways, to make us see in different ways, and again, like any like a prose author, um, one poet may appeal to you far more than another. There are some poets that that will really speak to you, some poems that will really speak to you. And as you brought out earlier, Linda, there's a lot of kinds of poetry out there. Um, You know, there are limericks, there are um, haikus, you know, there are humorous poems as well. And again, they're trying to get you to feel something, you know. They are, yeah. And they're fun and some are funny. Um. I won't tell you the only time that I remember. <laughs> I think you it's should. Ridiculous. I think we should end on a on a on a. It's a limerick, isn't it? Um, no, no, no. It's just a poem. Oh, uh, my sometimes the weirdest ones are the ones that stick in your memory, mind. So I just chose the shortest one. Let's see if I can remember. <laughs> um, From the sublime to the ridiculous. Oh, gosh, I don't think I can remember. <laughs> and uh, I had that in my mind just a minute ago. But anyway, I'll save it for next time. But let's let's close with, I think that you should say poem instead of poem. I do, too. I do, too. We have a little granddaughter named Poem. It's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful she name. She goes by yeah. Poe, but you're saying poem. And I think poem, you say poetry, so and yeah, that beautiful I think that's e, right. and it let's, makes it beautiful. Let's all stop saying poem and start saying poem. Okay, I got it. When with my little daughter Blanche, I climbed the Alps last summer, I saw a dreadful avalanche about to overcome her. And as it swept her down the slope, I vaguely wondered whether it would be wise to cut the rope that held us twain together. I must admit, I'm glad I did, but still, I miss the child. Poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> and with awful. that, thanks for being with us on Ayers on the Road, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.